0: been uh, going through these uh, encounters uh, with the Lord and uh, today is our last one that we're going to be looking at um, as we encounter Christ after his resurrection um, you know I'd encourage you um, you know we've we've been kind of going through these as we've been traveling through the gospel accounts and I would encourage you if you're not currently um, studying God's word um that, uh, you know, take Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, either one of those books, and just start going through them and start reading them, reflecting upon um, what Christ has done, uh, what he did do, um, and maybe put yourself in the same scenario of what the Lord had done uh, in some of these encounters uh, that these people had had. And, you know, as we look at this uh, last encounter, I must ask you this question. Do you ever wonder in your life, is Jesus really real? I mean, we read about it in his word. I mean, I I believe that Jesus is real, absolutely. But I think in our life, as we go through our life, um, we tend to wonder if the Lord really hears us, if the Lord really knows what's going on. Sometimes in our life, we lose hope in the midst of our circumstances that we are faced with. And I think sometimes with that, we we tend to wonder if Jesus is really real. And I think uh, in this encounter, I think you'll see this as we look at this encounter in Christ after his resurrection here. And I think many times in the Christian life, um, our faith seems to become disconnected from our life, okay? Meaning that we believe in a God who is all-loving. We believe that. We believe in a God who is good. And we may accept that Jesus lived and died and rose again, but the problem that we have in our life isn't that faith isn't believable. The problem is that it isn't relevant to our lives that we think. In other words, we tend to live two separate types of lives. We live a faith life, when things are going well in our life and jesus is good and god is good and everything is working together everything's just kind of meshed together but then when our life is falling apart the faith our faith life isn't really relevant in our life you see we know that faith is real that it's trustworthy why well because the bible tells us so but we just don't know or think that it's much help in living day after day in the times and lives and the difficulties and the hardships that we live in in the situations. So this morning, I think when we look at this encounter, I think we can see this. And I think this is a situation that all of us can identify with because you'll see the words as the, uh, the disciples use in this encounter. And we have used these same words as well. So let's dive into this uh, this passage here. Luke chapter number 24, and we'll begin reading in verse number 13. It says, That very day two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him, and he said to them, What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleophas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Verse 19, And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Verse 24, And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward the evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. Verse 30, When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. This is such a gripping story. Because in many ways, it's our own very story as well. We have these two disciples that are traveling from Jerusalem on their way back to Emmaus. Everything has already took place. Christ has been crucified. They were probably there at the cross. They probably saw the Lord being crucified. He's taken down from the cross. He's put into a borrowed tomb. Three days pass, and already these disciples start making their journey back from Jerusalem all the way to Emmaus. And they're talking and they're conversing about what has happened, what has taken place. And we see in the scriptures that they're sad. They don't seem to have much hope in their life. One of these disciples' name is Cleophas. We don't know the other name of this other disciple. Some people believe that it might have been another man. I tend to believe it was Cleophas' uh, wife, whose name was Mary, who was also at the cross. But whoever they were, they're walking back and they're discussing about what had happened, what had taken place, the events that had just, they have unfolded for them. And see, we find here this story resonates so much with us because when we lose hope and the desire to move on because of crushed dreams, because of things that just didn't work out, because of situations that have just seemed to unravel and fall apart, this story makes so much sense to us because these disciples had lost hope. They're sad. They seemed they're all of their dreams have been crushed. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 19 through 20 If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. You see, for these two disciples, that reality of Christ being alive was all but burnt and crushed realities. They're there, they're talking, they're going back to Emmaus. It's a seven-mile journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And as they're walking, I'm sure that their walk was pretty slow. Have you ever been on those kinds of walks before? Maybe with your wife, maybe by yourself. And the things of life are going through your mind, and you're thinking about them and thinking about them and thinking about them. And it just seems that the hope that was once there is now fading away. And as they're walking and discussing, I'm sure their countenance on their face, their words as they're coming out of their mouth is just hopeless. You see, we have all been there. So let's walk this road with them. Let's see this encounter that they have with the Lord as they encounter Christ After this resurrection. I want to show you a few things here. Number one, on the Emmaus road, we encounter hopelessness. Listen to what the scripture says here. It says, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? I'm sure as Jesus encounters them, as they're walking, he sees their face, he hears their words. And we know it's Jesus, but they don't know it's Jesus. And as they're listening to each other talk, As Jesus is listening to them, look what he says. What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. So here they are, they're walking. Jesus draws near. What is this conversation that you're having? And they stop and sadness is all over their faces, all over their life. It says, then one of them named Cleophas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these last days? (laughs) Notice Jesus' response. What things? (laughs) And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, the man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. They came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those that were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. You see, on this road, these two disciples walk and talk. And this was Easter morning. And disappointment had now come into their lives. Their hopes in Jesus had been dashed to pieces. Their expectations were unmet. And they've been so excited about Jesus, because listen to what they said to him, about him. They said, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. They were excited about the Lord. They were excited about Jesus. But now, all those dreams and all those realities of who Christ was is all but gone. Why? Because they had hoped that he was the one that was going to be to redeem Israel. You see, with the events of Friday still fresh on their mind, this Jesus whom they had loved and followed had been horribly been put to death by a Roman cross. And this death that Christ died was a horrible and shameful death. They had seen these events happen. And they had hoped, they had hoped, they had hoped, Oh, why did this happen? This was not supposed to happen. They had hoped. Their hopes were shattered. The dream was over. The followers of Jesus were falling apart. And without a leader, they were just fading away. We read about Peter as after all these events that took place. What did Peter go back to doing? Went back to being a fisherman. Other disciples went and followed him. What else were they going to do? Life goes on. Life must go on. Sure, there was talk about people who had said that Jesus was alive again because they even say this. They say that they were at the tomb early in the morning and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Oh, there was talk saying that Jesus had rose from the dead, but we didn't see it. In fact, if you read later on, earlier in the passage of Luke twenty-four, it says that when Mary had went to the tomb and she went and told the disciples that the Lord had risen, saw the vision of the angel. It says that the disciples listened to Mary and it said that they thought that her words were but idle tales. This can't be! No, no, no! I we, we, we I can't believe that! No. We had hoped is the way that they sum up the situation. Human hope is a fragile thing, is it not? And when it withers, it's difficult to revive. In your life, have you ever experienced total hopelessness in your life? No way out, no matter what you tried, nothing you could do could change the situation. You see, we encounter people every day that have this look of total hopelessness in their life. Of helplessness in their eyes. People who have given up. Nothing can help me now. The cancer spread too far. My spouse has left me for another partner. I've tried so hard to quit smoking, drinking, using drugs. I feel so stuck in my life. I've given up. Have you ever said these words or someone else heard say these words? then we have a good idea of exactly how these disciples felt on this Emmaus road. They have given up hope. We had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. Sure, there's talk of his resurrection, but I don't know if it's true. Everything, all of our dreams are are gone. We're going back to Emmaus and this is it. We're just going to go back on living our life. Hopelessness is desperately hard to cure. You see, when we see someone that we love and care for, overtaken by illness, it goes on and on and on. Despair sets in, and we almost become afraid to hope because we don't know if we can hope with another letdown. So in heartbreak, we put up a wall of hopelessness in our life. We become trapped in our misery. Listen to their words. We had hoped. We had hoped. We had hoped that he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. Do you know the heartbreaking disappointment in your own life? But see, this isn't the full story. I want to show you a second thing here. On the Emmaus road, Jesus draws near. You see, even in our hopelessness, Jesus is there. Listen to what the scripture says here. It says, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And notice what he continues to say here when he talks to them. He says, and he said to them, "O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. And he acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us. For it is toward the evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. You see, even in our hopelessness, Jesus is there. Many times in our hopelessness, we feel so alone. We feel like everything is falling apart and there's nothing. And we seem to wonder, is Jesus really real? And here is the amazing and wonderful promise of the gospel. You see, if you know Christ as your Savior, you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, and you know Christ and the Holy Spirit of God lives within your heart, then you are not alone. Joshua 1.9 says, Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Matthew twenty-eight twenty, Jesus says, Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Revelation 21, 3, and he says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Psalm 23, 4 says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. And he will exult over you with loud singing. Joshua 1.5 says, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Isaiah 41 10 says, fear not for I am with you, be not dismayed for I am your God, I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Deuteronomy thirty-one, six: be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Hebrews 13.5 says, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Romans 8.38-39 says, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, you may think you're alone, but you're not. You see, as these disciples travel... A stranger joins them. A very chatty stranger joins up with them. What things? What things are you talking about? But somehow they didn't recognize him. Their eyes were kept from recognizing them. Maybe they were so disappointed that they didn't even bother to look up and talk to him. As Jesus draws near and he says, what things? Oh, you know, these things that happen in Jerusalem. Jesus, who was a mighty man, was put to death. Crucified. He's put in a borrowed tomb and he said he was going to rise. But we didn't see it. Maybe they were just so disappointed. Maybe they didn't care. What difference did it make who was walking with them? They were grieving a great loss in their life and along comes this stranger jesus what's going on guys what are you talking about what's what's all this what's all this talk what's what's all this stuff you're talking about here and he listens as they pour out their hearts before him and in their brokenness in their in, in their bewilderment jesus listens and he listens intently to what is going on in their lives You see, we too find ourselves that at that moment of hopelessness, Jesus joins us on a journey. He spends time with us. Sometimes Jesus shows himself in an unrecognized way, though. Could be a phone call. Could be a text message. Could be a kind word. An unexpected act. You see, Jesus enters our pain and allows us to share our story of disappointment. And that's just what these disciples do. They're sharing with Christ about their disappointment, about their letdown, about their hopelessness that is in their life. Listen to what they tell this stranger, what they thought the man of Galilee was all about. As they're talking to Jesus, they're going to tell him and say, Well, this is what Jesus was all about. Listen to what they say. They say that he was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. They say that the chief priests and the rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death. They crucified him. They said that we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. They say of Jesus that said that he was going to rise from the dead and it's been three days already, but we haven't seen anything yet. And in all of what they thought that Jesus was all about, Jesus then unpacks for them the whole entire mystery of God, of things concerning himself. And what does he do? It says that he begins with what? The prophets, with Moses. And he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. He begins with Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He goes through the scriptures with them. He then tells them about the fall of man, how God deals with our human failure. Jesus tells them about God's plan of salvation in the Old Testament. And how God worked in the lives of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. How God used Moses and the prophets to reveal that God's plan of salvation... About the exodus out of Egypt and the suffering servant in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 53. And then Jesus says this. Notice, don't miss this. He says this. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things? You see, that's the one thing that the disciples did not factor into their hopelessness. Was the suffering of Christ. They did not consider it. And many times we don't consider the sufferings of Christ either. Because we may wonder whether God can feel our pain. We seem to wonder if God really cares about our situation, how everything is falling apart and I have hopelessness in my heart. And we don't factor in the sufferings of Christ and our hopelessness. You see Peter wrote that Jesus suffered for us leaving us an example in 1st 1 Peter 1:21. He says for to you this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you leaving you in an example so that you might follow in his steps. In what Jesus in what way did Jesus lead the way? What confidence can we have that he understands the personal sufferings in our own lives? Jesus understands our human frailty. Jesus understands that because he was a human. Jesus understands that our world isn't fair and right. Jesus understands relationship problems. I mean, one of his own disciples betrayed him. Jesus understands illness and pain. Jesus understands grief and sorrow. And as Jesus reveals to him the scriptures concerning himself, the daylight begins to fade. Their two-hour journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus seems to go a lot quicker now. I mean, maybe it just seemed like as he was talking concerning the scriptures about himself, talking about how the Lord worked in the Old Testament and how, how the sufferings of the, the servant of Isaiah, they were listening and they were, they, were, they were intent on their listening to Christ. And before you know it, they're starting to see the, the, the sign, Emmaus, only one quarter mile away. They get there. The, the daylight is fading. And notice what it says. It says, they wanted him to stay with them. But look what it says. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. And he acted, Jesus acted, as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us. I can, I can picture this. Here's Christ, and he's talking about all the scriptures concerning himself. And they get to Emmaus. And maybe Jesus said, well, guys, I hope you have a wonderful night. See you later. And he continues to walk on. And they said, please stay with us. Stay with us. He says, for it is toward the evening and the day is now far spent. And so he went in to stay with them. They urged him strongly to stay with them. You see, something amazing has happened in their lives now. As they encountered this stranger on the Emmaus Road, their hearts had been warmed and their troubles have seemed, and all their disappointments have all but seemed to fade away because you don't hear them talking anymore about, we had hoped, we had hoped. Something had changed in their life. Because they heard of the sufferings of Christ. Their disappointments have went away. I want to show you a third thing here. On the Emmaus Road, Jesus teaches us how to have hope. Look at this, Luke 24, verses 30 through 35. It says, when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. You see, as these two disciples invite this stranger who has warmed their hearts with the the scriptures, they set the table for three. They said, you hungry? It's been a long road. And they break bread there. And Jesus, as he offers prayer and he breaks the bread, immediately they noticed who he was and then he vanishes away. You know, I think about that when Jesus broke that bread. All throughout Scripture, we find times where where Christ, whether it be the feeding of the 5,000, whether it be the time when he broke bread with his disciples at the Last Supper, there was something about how he broke that bread and how he prayed that they recognized him. And maybe now they looked at his hands and they saw the nail piercings. Those hands look different now. But they recognized him for who he was, and he vanished out of their sight. In an instant, they knew him, and in an instant, he was gone. Why did Jesus have to disappear? I can imagine Cleophas and the other disciples standing in amazement, asking each other, were not our hearts burning As he shared with us the scriptures, as he opened to us the things concerning himself. You see, they had suddenly realized that Christ is risen from the dead. Christ teaches us how to have hope when we are on the Emmaus road. How does he do this? Well, he moves us into a position for us to encounter God. He moves us into a position so that we experience God. You see, the way that he does this is it reminds us of the simple things to restore hope. Sometimes in our, in our hopelessness, in our, in our situations when they fall apart, we try to conjure up some drastic thing, trying something new, trying something different, because we think maybe by doing something new or doing something different, it's going to change our situation. But it doesn't. You know this as well as I do, people that may say to you, oh man, this town is full of problems. What do they do? They pack up and leave, but they pack up all their problems with them and they go to the next town and they unpack all of their problems. Jesus teaches us how to have hope in a hopeless situation. Because when we get discouraged and lose hope, we seem to think that we have to do something new. But Jesus tries to remind us it's through the simple things that restore hope in our life. You say, what things are those? Number one, welcome strangers. Welcome strangers. You see, what would have happened if those two discouraged disciples hadn't welcomed the stranger to talk and stay with them? Here they are on the Emmaus road. They're looking sad. Everything's falling apart. And this stranger comes and he says, what things? And if, what if they would have said, oh, this doesn't concern you. You don't want to hear our problems. We got our own problems. We're going back to Emmaus. How would their outlook of life been different? They wouldn't have seen the Lord. You see, sometimes God sends hope through the way of a stranger. Or it can be through the way of a strange circumstance. It could be someone who was uh, conversed with in the grocery store. Could be somebody on an elevator. Could be someone in an unexpected circumstance. Hebrews 13.2 says this. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without even knowing it. Sometimes God will send somebody in your path to restore hope. To let you know that you are not alone, that God listens, God knows And if we don't welcome those strangers into our life, we can miss out on what God is trying to show us about how he wants to restore hope in our life. Number two, keep God's word primary in your life. You see, the disciples' outlook on life had changed once Christ had opened the scriptures with them. God's word is a powerful force in our lives. You see, it was when Jesus explained the scriptures to them that the two disciples felt their hearts on fire. I want to show you a very rather strange and unusual passage here in God's word. Turn over to uh, Jeremiah chapter number 17. Jeremiah 17. Look at verse number 5. We're going to read verses 5 through 8. The Lord says this, Jeremiah 17, verses 5 through 8. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched Places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought for it does not cease to bear fruit. You see, sometimes in our hopelessness, when we do not welcome strangers, when we do not keep the word of God primary in our life, what are we doing? We're trusting in our own flesh. I just got to get through this difficult time. I just got to make it through. I just got to get past this and then everything will be better. I can't tell you how many times that my wife and I, when we had walks, that we would go and we walked and we would talk about all the difficulties and we neglected, we neglected... To talk about the Lord, and what did it do? It kept us in dry, parched areas without the Lord. What is it that really gave these disciples hope? The sufferings of Christ did. So what gives us hope when we are enduring difficult times? The sufferings of Christ. Where do we find them, meditate them, and learn of them? The word of God. You see, it is through the sufferings of Christ that we learn how to have hope. Because when we focus and meditate on the sufferings of Christ, the gospel, it teaches us how to have hope in difficult and hard circumstances in our life when everything is falling apart. Listen to what 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 7 through 18 says. It says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. And that's exactly what our hopelessness sometimes is, is a light, momentary affliction. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says this, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That can also be in time of hopelessness. 2 Corinthians 1, 3-6 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and God of all comfort, who comforts us with all affliction so we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we find ourselves are comforted by God. For, we, for as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation, and if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. You see, their hopelessness faded away in light of Christ's sufferings. I think this is the problem so many times that we have in our life, is when we are in moments of hopelessness, we ask the Lord to change our situation. We say, Lord, I'm hopeless here. Everything's a mess. Everything's falling apart. And instead of focusing on Christ, we focus in on our hopelessness and we miss out what God is trying to do in our hopelessness. He wants us to experience who he is in our times of hopelessness. It's interesting, what were the disciples hoping for? We had hoped. We had hoped That he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. Israel was under Roman rule. Rome was ruling. And they wanted Jesus. They wanted him to come in there and basically kick butt and take names. But Jesus didn't do that. He was put to death on a cross. Their dreams were shattered. Everything was lost it seemed. And in fact, even after Christ had resurrected from the dead, guess what? The Jewish nation, Israel, was still under Roman rule. The situation had not changed. But they found hope. Where? In Christ, because of his sufferings. I want you to see how this encounter changed these two disciples' lives. Because after they realized that it was the Lord... And that Christ has risen from the dead. The disciples wasted no time. Look what it says. It says that same hour. It says they rose up the same hour. I mean, the sun's already went down. It's a seven-mile walk back to Jerusalem. Probably maybe two-hour walk. And it says they wasted no time. They rose up that same hour. I think, I think they ran a 45-minute marathon back. They wasted no time. They got up. They said, the Lord has risen. Their hope was restored. Not in the situation. But their hope was found in Jesus Christ in their situation. That's what had changed. And they get back to Jerusalem and what happens? Their hearts were burning. They had good news to share. They had good news. Good news! Christ has risen! He's here! I know it! And they couldn't keep it to themselves. Their broken hearts have been transformed into hearts that were now on fire for the Lord. And hope has that powerful effect on us. It transforms ordinary people like this Emmaus disciples, like you and me, into passionate witnesses for the Lord. Christ restores our hope in hopeless situations. So if you found yourself this week in a hopeless situation, maybe this week you're going to be in a hopeless situation. Maybe everything's going to fall apart. Don't neglect the things that Christ tells us to do. Welcome strangers into your life. Keep the word of God primary in your life. rehearse the gospel continually in your life. Keep the sufferings of Christ afresh on your mind because that teaches us how to have hope. Let's pray together.